Amen. This time the Grove kids are dismissed out that door that way. I don't know about you, but I, I love the worship. It doesn't matter whether I'm standing in here, whether I'm walking my dogs, whether I'm picking up groceries at Sam's, whether I'm mowing my yard. Man, I love the worship God. I, I love to praise him. Um, that song we just sang is so good, right? I mean, what else can we say but hallelujah and praise God for all that he's done? I mean, think about it. I mean, really think about it. I mean, he loved you enough to send his son to die for you. Jesus loved you enough to hang on the cross for you. Holy Spirit loves you enough, as messed up as you are, to live inside of you. And Jesus is preparing a home for us. And so, man, I, 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 I just love worshiping. It doesn't matter where it is because I'm worshiping God. You know, I'm not worshiping the people around me. I'm worshiping God, and it's so good, and that was so good today. Enjoyed it so much. Uh, all right, so are you ready to hear some word of God this morning, words that are living and active, insightful and impacting, powerful and penetrating, true and lasting? All right, three people, great. <laughs> You're going to hear it anyhow. And listen, diving deep into God's Word is what we are about at Maple Grove. I mean, that's why for 57 weeks, we've been plunging the depths of Matthew's Gospel, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. We have gone down deep, and we've come up wet. And we've just seen how, how amazing, how insightful, how deep, how rich, and how practical Every verse in this book is. Okay, let's do this. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 9, 35 through Matthew 10, verse 4. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, someone say proclaiming, proclaiming. the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus called his disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Heavenly Father, we call on you this morning to be here and God, we ask that you would show up and show up in your word. And God, we pray that we'll have open hearts and open minds and open ears, ready to receive what you have from us. And may we not just receive it, may we, may we live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to begin looking at Matthew chapter 10, which is one of the five discourses of Jesus 
extended teaching of Jesus that, that Matthew has in his gospel. Now, when it comes to certain events, Matthew likes cliff notes. But when it comes to teaching of Jesus, Matthew, he just flat out brings it. And here are the five discourses found in the, the gospel of Matthew. We have the kingdom manifesto discourse, Matthew 5, 1 through 7, 28, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we spent 30 plus weeks diving into the. Uh, we have the mission discourse, Matthew 9, verse 35 through 11, 1. And then we have the kingdom parable discourse, Matthew chapter 13. And then we have what's called, I named it, the church community discourse. And that's where Jesus gives some advice from the church about, hey, what to do when someone sins against you? Uh, should you really forgive your brother in church discipline and things like that? And, and then we have in the final week of his life in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus gave the destruction of Jerusalem and end times discourse. But again, uh, today we're beginning a journey into Jesus' mission discourse, and it'll take us several weeks, not as long as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and listen, here's the deal. This discourse and Jesus' disciples' response to it are the reason that we are forgiven, free, rescued, redeemed, delivered, saved, and headed home to heaven. Like, if this discourse did not go down the way that it did, we would not even be here. So yeah, this is really important stuff. And listen, we consider just how intentional Matthew is, guided by the Holy Spirit and structuring this gospel. It makes perfect sense that Matthew will begin putting this discourse on the paper in Matthew 10 after he's already penned the first nine chapters. Remember in Matthew chapters 1 through 4, uh, Matthew tells us, hey, this is who Jesus is. He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's the one that God loves and is well-pleased. He's the one that battled Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, demonstrating that Satan has more than met his match and is no longer the uncontested ruler of the world. And then we have in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, we have Jesus' kingdom manifesto. Where Jesus taught, among many other things, about who inherits the earth, who's comforted, who has shown mercy, who's fulfilled and satisfied, who will be called the sons of God, who will see God, and about lust and anger, marriage and divorce, loving and forgiving, giving and fasting, praying and storing up treasure, not worrying and judging, asking and seeking, knocking and entering, hearing and building. Again, Matthew 1 through 4, this is who Jesus is. Matthew 5 through 7, here's what he said about the kingdom. In Matthew 8, 9, hey, this is what he did. In Matthew 8, 9, Matthew records 10 of Jesus' miracles demonstrating that he has authority over sickness, over disease, over nature, over the supernatural, over sin, and over life and death itself. And now, as Matthew begins to put pen to paper for chapter 10, we find Jesus telling his guys, hey, it's time. It's time to go. It's time to get started. It's time to be sent out. It's time to begin fulfilling your ministry. It's like he's basically saying, hey, listen up. You've been with me for about a year. You've seen me. You've heard me. You watched me. And now it's time for you to go out for me. Again, I cannot emphasize it enough. This is a huge moment. I mean, think about it. 
Jesus knows he only has about two years left. And then after the cross, after the resurrection, after his mission is completed, accomplished, finished, he knows he'll be returning back to the Father to sit down at his right hand. And he also knows that once he's gone, everything, the mission, the advancement of the kingdom, the spread of the gospel, the salvation of mankind will rest on these men. Understand, church, we must never forget that they and now us are plan A and there is no plan B. Someone say, there is no plan B. Hey, look at the person next to you and say, there is no plan B. You see, it's either us or it's light out for the world. Back when I was a kid, there was a TV show called The Andy Griffith Show. It was in 1960. I, I, I am old. And Andy's a sheriff of the town of Mayberry. His deputy was a guy named Barney Fife. Um, the mechanic in town was known as Gomer. Well, one of them, right? Gomer. And in this particular episode, like Andy's out of town and everything's left up to Barney. And, and he deputizes Gomer and they're walking through the streets of Mayberry and they notice that the bank is being robbed. And they hide behind a car, and they're terrified. And finally, Gomer says, I have a picture of Gomer actually, Shazam! We better call the police. And Barney says, we are the police. We are the police. Question. Maybe you can relate. I mean, sometimes we can look at this lost, broken, dark, upside down, evil, Increasingly more and more ungodly. Are you kidding me? What will they destroy and corrupt next world that's just overflowing with people who are harassed and helpless, weary and worn out, confused and lost like sheep without a shepherd? I mean, seriously, have you ever wanted to cry out? Someone needs to do something about this. Listen, we are that someone that's supposed to do something about this. Amen? Amen. We are the police. <laughs> Don't bother looking elsewhere. Get it? Now, the way I want to attack our text, this mission discourse of Jesus, is to walk through it and pull out several mission takeaways. This morning, we're only going to look at the first four verses of this discourse. Until yesterday, I was going to do the first 15 verses, and I scrapped that at about 4 o'clock saying, I can't get through the first four. I don't think I'm going to get through 15 verses. I, 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 I set my goal to, my expectations too high for myself. And, and there's a few things that we need to keep in mind as we begin digging through Matthew chapter 10, this, this mission discourse. And number one is that these are mission instructions given to a specific people, to the 12, for their specific mission, so not everything applies directly to us. 
Like healing the sick, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, raising the dead probably does not apply to us today. Or wearing tunics, and maybe you can wear a tunic if you want. We got a kilt in the house. You know, wearing tunics, carrying staffs, shaking the dust off our feet, being flogged in the synagogues, etc. Not everything applies to us, but nevertheless, as we unpack Matthew 10, we're going to discover beginning today many mission, it's time to go principles that do apply to us. Number three, we need to keep in mind how this discourse is broken down. And, and, and I put these things out every week, and sometimes I forget to put them on the table out there. And, and uh, these are called notes, sermon notes. And, and uh, they're very extensive, right? It's not a blank page sermon notes. It's very extensive. It, it, every scripture is either quoted or listed here. And the goal, hey, hey, go home and make sure that I'm not telling you a bunch of junk, right? You know, because check me out, right? You know, don't believe it because I say it. I, I know I'm a good-looking pastor up here, and sometimes my looks can make you want to believe what I'm saying. Hey, why did you all laugh? All right. Uh, but, but anyhow, uh, these are very extensive, and I hope punch them so you can keep them, right? And so, so like, hey, here's the five discourses. You, know, you may be walking down a man or woman in the street interview. They're going to say, hey, you know, for a grand prize, $1,000 reward, what are the five discourses of Matthew? And you're going to say, hey, guess what? I know what they are, right? Probably not happening. But anyhow, I have these out there. They're very detailed. And, and here's how this discourse is broken down. Uh, Matthew 10, 1 through 15, are Jesus' instructions to his guys about a very brief, a very specific ministry, their first time out to the Jews only. Uh, Matthew 10, 16 through 23 it's Jesus' instruction to his guys for when they go out after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and the church is born. And, and then uh, the rest of Matthew 10 is his instructions about some of the characteristics that, that his, his disciples will need to embrace and embody as they carry out their mission. And again, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get through this, but it's important stuff and it's necessary stuff because Maple Grove, it's time to go. Amen? Amen. Again, our text, Matthew 9, 35, 10 through 4, and 10 through 4. And these eight verses will uncover four, it's time to go principles. However, before we descend into those verses, a commercial, and we're going to do our take two. All right? Here's a commercial. Boom. Okay. Men's prayer gathering. Hey, we had a, uh-oh, I put the wrong one. I made a new one. I changed the date. I, I invented a time machine, y'all. And every guy that wants to sign up for this, we will go back in time to, yeah, I'm serious, man. You know, I, I got the flux capacitor and everything ready to go. And the DeLorean. Okay. Anyhow, um, it's actually August the 27th. I think it's the last Sunday of the month. All right. Uh, I made a new one, but my name is Steve, and that's what you get, right? But we, we had it on July 30th. At 3.30 last week, and it was awesome. I mean, 19 men showed up in here, and we didn't just talk about prayer. Uh, we broke up into three different groups, and we prayed. And guys shared some really tough stuff in their life or in the lives of people that they know, and, and we prayed for the church. And, and so we're going to have another one the end of August. It's not going to be every month all the time, but we're just getting this thing started. But I tell you, as men get on their knees and pray, we'll see great things happen in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, and in this church. Amen? And so, um, 
Guys, if you weren't there, you know, you know, we're coming for you. Guys who were there, look for someone who wasn't there and go for them, right? And, and let's be a church with men who actually cry out to God. Take two. And this is where we get out and welcome those around us. All right, let's do this, Matthew 9, <laughs> 35 through 38. And, and yeah, we're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 9 because those verses kind of serve as a bridge, as a, a, as a transition between Jesus going out and doing his thing and then Jesus sending his guys out to go out and do their thing. Again, just to hear these words again. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were ass and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Whose harvest field is it? It's the Lord's harvest field. Like he's in charge of it. And if you're here last week, did you do your homework? Did you even remember that you got homework? Did your dog eat your homework, all right? Like, I even sent out a reminder in the email that I think one person reads each week stuff from Steve about your homework. But anyhow, here was your homework. We had three things to do. Um, Number one was to reflect on what it would be like to go through all the pain and sorrow of this broken world without a shepherd. I just asked you to think about it. Think about what would it be like to have a loved one die? And not have a shepherd. What would it be like to have struggles in your marriage or to lose that marriage or to lose that job or to lose some physical health and not have a shepherd? What would it be like to feel alone and isolated and not measuring up and not have a shepherd? I just wanted you to reflect on what that's like because our world is full of people just like that. And then I asked you to try to answer the following question. If the harvest is so plentiful, why are the workers... So few. And I say, hey, why are they few? I mean, like, it's right out there. And, and any ideas? You come up with any? I posted this on Facebook a week ago. And here's what some people said. Uh, for many, for many, too many Christians are consumed, are consumers rather than investors in the lives of others. Someone said, because life is hard and culture is set up to keep us selfish and focused on things that are temporary rather than eternal. Uh, Someone says it's easier to live for yourself than for others. Someone said people are concerned about themselves and not bringing people in the kingdom of God. I kind of see a pattern right there, selfishness. Uh, Someone said because we're not terrified about the eternity that lost people will experience. Does that terrify you? Raise your hand if you know anyone, work, acquaintance, neighborhood, family member that does not know Jesus. Does it terrify you? Will they spend eternity? A place of outer darkness? A place of gnashing of teeth? A place of unending fire? Uh, Someone wrote, because we started worrying about having great numbers at church and not making disciples in church. Someone says, because somehow people think that being a worker for God is optional for Christians. (laughs) Okay. And someone wrote, because the work is hard, isolating, ostracizing, and there's little or no earthly reward. It's swimming upstream. You put in hard work and move very small distance. But then this dude concluded, but it's worth every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears. Amen? And, and the third assignment was 
pray the prayer. Ask the Lord to send out harvesters into his harvest field. And, and, and I kind of wrote up a prayer for us to pray together. It's probably not grammatically correct because it's me. But would you guys stand and pray this together with me? Lord of the harvest. I'm going to start again. On, after I say three. Not on three, after I say three. One, two, three. Lord of the harvest, we cry out to you this morning. You tell us that the harvest is plentiful and that the workers are few. You tell us that our world is full of people who are harassed and helpless, weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, help us to have a heart of compassion towards them, one that moves us to act, to do something. Lord, we earnestly ask you this day, to prepare and send out workers out into your harvest. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. This brings us to, it's time to go to principle number one. Going is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. Listen, our going and my going and your going is an answer to the prayer that Jesus asks us to pray. It's an answer to the prayer that has been prayed for 2,000 years question. What do you think would happen if Jesus' followers consistently and daily prayed for workers to go out in the harvest field? Like, do you think God wants to answer that prayer? And what do you think would happen to me, to you, to us, if we consistently and daily prayed that prayer? I mean, do you think it's possible that if we prayed that prayer every day? You know, and I, I set my alarm to 9.38 and went off in my prayer meeting today. What's that? Who's calling me? You know, just to remind me to pray that prayer. 9.38 every morning it goes off. I'm reminded to pray that prayer. But do you think if we pray that every day that God just might move us to become one of those workers in the harvest field? I don't know. Maybe that's why some of us don't want to pray it because we know there's some prayers we're not sure God wants to answer. Lord, I, I want the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, right? I, I don't know. Probably not, right? But this prayer, you know, right? You know this one without a doubt. You pray for that job, maybe he wants you to have, maybe he doesn't. That relationship, maybe not. But this one, we know for sure. Yeah, the workers are few, but what if there were many? Like, what if there were many workers in Harvest Field? And now a little side note about workers being few. You see, workers are not just few in God's harvest field. As Courtney, I, it cost me 100 bucks for that announcement if you're here this morning. You know, uh, you know, but, but workers are few in the Lord's church, right? You know, there's all kinds of needs in the church, right? You know, help is needed everywhere. We, sometimes you have depression, we have it all going on, we don't, Right? Um, help is needed. You know, help is needed and always needed in children's ministry and youth ministry and cleaning and yard work, guest services. You know, whatever your gifts, talents, abilities are something that, that you could do and, and worship, you know, and, and, and you, know, I, you know, personally, you know, I'm grateful for my family that stepped up and it's not because we want it to be the Malone show. If you think that's true, you know, you should watch my wife struggling to play the guitar. 
Uh, but we ha- oh, that didn't sound right. <laughs> that didn't sound good at all. I, 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 I meant it. I struggle with my servants too. I mean, the effort that she puts in. There you go. Anyhow. Yeah, stop talking. Stop talking. Uh, okay. That was good. Um, but, you know, um, and we have a guy here. Um, it's last Gentile's last Sunday. He's been our drummer since he was like 13. And he leaves to go down to Tech. And thank you. Would you like to come up and say a few words? <laughs> You know, uh, we have some drummers in the wings. You know, some other musicians, we love to have it. Bart would always love to have guys on the tech team. There's all kinds of needs. And, and, uh, and like, like what, if it, what if there's a waiting list for everything? Oh, oh gosh, um, you want to cut the grass? I'm sorry. You know, uh, 2025, we have an opening in July. Are you free? That would be great, right? So anyhow, um, it's time to go. Principle number one, our going is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. Let's move on to our text, Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 6 that before he called them, Jesus spent all night on a mountainside praying to God. What do you think he was praying about? <laughs> Harvesters and about these guys he was about to select that would lead the church when he's gone. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. I understand for a year they, they watched in wonder as Jesus cleansed the leper, cast out demons, raised the dead. And now Jesus gives them the authority to do the very same things. And did you notice the difference between how Matthew addresses them in verse 1, and how he addresses them in verse 2. In, in verse 1, he calls them the 12 what? Disciples. And, and that means, a, you know, a, a, a student is someone who comes alongside the, the rabbi Jesus to follow him and, and, and to learn from him. And there's a whole bunch of, not just 12, a whole bunch of people are following Jesus and listening to Jesus at this time. But after a night of prayer, Jesus calls these 12 guys out from the crowd to go back into the crowd to represent him, to become his apostles. And that word means sent out. It carries the idea of being a delegate, an ambassador, an envoy. It's the idea of being set apart as a messenger for someone else. But listen, in this context of Matthew chapter 10, the word apostle speaks to the exclusive office an authority that this group of men shared and that this group shared alone. It, it speaks to the exclusive office and authority that these men shared and that they shared alone. Understand, from a human standpoint, the future of the church rests on the faithfulness of these 12 apostles. And listen, their uniqueness, their unique role is we th- all, throughout the, all throughout the New Testament. And John chapter 17, Jesus' great high priestly prayer in the garden. Before he prays for us, he prays for these guys. And then he prays for us who will believe their message. When the church is born in Acts chapter 2, we read that 
the 3,000 that were baptized, the church, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we read that many signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that the church, that God's household, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and that Jesus Christ is its chief cornerstone. Question, so, so why do you think Jesus gave the 12? And your 12 makes you think of what? Makes you think of the 12 tribes, the 12 patriarchs. And it just shows the continuity of God's plan, of God's purpose, of God's people, both the Old and the New Testament. And that's why in Revelation you read about 140,000 being, 144,000 being saved. It's not like there's a, someone's got a counter like you have on a school bus. Oh, dude, you're 140,001. Sorry. No. That's not what he's talking about. 12 times 12 equals what? 144. A thousand is an adjective in the Bible, big number. All it's saying, it represents all the people in the Old Testament that were saved in God's people and all the people in the New Testament. All right? That, that's all that it means. And so the 12 is significant. And, and he didn't give him power and authority just for show or to draw the crowd. But to validate their claims to speak for the Lord. You see, the apostles are the New Testament prophets. All scripture in the New Testament was either written by them or it was sourced by them. Like, all 27 books that we have in our New Testament were chosen to be part of the canon of scripture because they were known to be books written by apostles or sourced by the apostles. And that's why it was necessary for these guys to have miraculous powers. Remember, for decades, the early church, all they had was the Old Testament. And during the early time, the Lord spoke to the church, to the apostles. But the people need to know, hey, are, are these guys really from God? How, how do we tell who's from God speaking this stuff and who's not from God? Well, the way you tell is that God gave his spokesman miracles that could not be counterfeited, right? You know, raising the dead, cleansing the leper. Yeah, having your shadow, right, actually heal someone or your handkerchief heal someone. And so if someone claimed, hey, you know what, I'm an apostle, they could say, wait a second. If you can back that up with the miracles that apostles do, then maybe you are. But if you can't, then, then, then you're not. And the church could tell who was true and who was false. We see Paul living out this, this principle in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I like this. Paul says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Ooh. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out. You see what happened to Church of Corinth. Some guys were coming and talking smack against Paul, bringing in false doctrines, and Paul heard about it, and, and, and Paul's, Paul's coming at them. I'll come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking well, what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. He says, okay, you're talking smack. I'm, I, when I come, I'll be raising the dead. I'll be cleansing the leopard. I'll be casting out demons. What you got? What you got? You got nothing. Get out of here, right? I, I, I like Paul. I like Paul, right? And, and so they could recognize, right, who's true and who's not. But once the church was established and the canon of Scripture had closed, the need for apostles ended. So the Lord stopped appointing men to these positions. Remember, he had the 12 and Judas is gone 
and, and then they replace him with, with Matthias. And, and then Paul later becomes an apostle because God chose him to be one. He says, hey, I, I, you know, I'm the last and I'm one untimely born, right? Because I wasn't with Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection, but Jesus came to me directly and I am apostle. And, and, and I don't deserve to be one because I actually killed Christians, but Jesus chose me. And the last apostle was John, and, and John died in around 90 AD, and he wrote the last book of the, the Bible, the book of Revelation. And so from that point forward, the church moved on without them, but we, uh, we have the day 2,000 years later, we, we, have their, we have their teaching, right? And, and we have the example that they, that they lived. Jesus called us 12 disciples of them and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Okay, good stuff. But what does that have to do with us? I mean, we're not apostles. Uh, I don't think we're going to be casting out demons and raising the dead. And we don't have the power and authority to heal every disease and sickness. Yeah, it's true. Nevertheless, there's an important mission takeaway. Hey, it's time to go principle for us. And that's this. Going is also our calling. I'm saying like the 12, we need to make the move from just being a learner and follower of Jesus to being one sent out for Jesus. And not as an apostle like they were, but as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth, as those who present Jesus to the world and represent Jesus to the world. That so desperately needs him. Yes, as a Jesus follower, we've been called. Uh, we've been called to be holy, Romans 1 verse 7. We've been called to his good purpose, Romans 8.28. We've been called to be free, Galatians 5.13. Uh, uh, we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Uh, we've been called to be like Jesus, Romans 8 verse 29. And we've been called to go out and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We've been called to take the good news to the lost to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? You know what that means? Timely, right? It's not saying, like, some of you, I've seen some of your feet, right? It's a good thing you cover them. No, it's a good thing I cover them up, right? Some people know about my, my feet, right? And, and so, but how timely, right, are those who bring the good news? Paul says this, First, 2 Corinthians 5, therefore if anyone was in Christ, they're a new creation, the old has come. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who, okay, I butchered that. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, then he is a new creation. What? Wow, this is a different version. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, amen, the new is here. All this is from God, it's not from us, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Man, that's good news. 
And it's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, although God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've been called to go out to speak God's message and speak it with authority. See, this book gives me authority to speak. Not my words, but when I speak this book, I speak it with authority. You know, when someone wants to know how to be right with God, I'll speak that with authority. You know what? You, you, need, to, you need to believe in who Jesus is and, and what he did and about your sin. You need to repent and no longer want to be the boss of your life. You need to confess him as Lord and, and you need to be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And I speak that with authority. You do that, you mean that, I, with authority. I can say, guess what? You're saved. We speak with authority. So suppose I, I, I say to May Lee later on this week, hey, go up and tell Gentile it's time for dinner, right? And, and she goes up there and says, hey, Gentile, Baba says it's time for dinner, right? He goes, I don't care, I'm not coming, right? But then she says, Baba says it's time for dinner, right? Now, now it, it, if he doesn't obey then, who's he disobeying? This may be me, right? Because she's speaking with my authority. And when we speak from this book, we speak with authority. Amen? Okay, here's what I'm trying to say. Learning about Jesus, feeding on spiritual truths, reading and studying the Word of God is a very good thing, a more than worthwhile pursuit. However, it's not enough that we receive nourishment from it. We must also exercise it and live it out. What happens if, in a physical sense, we keep eating even good food, like a whole bunch of it, without ever exercising or any physical activity? We slowly but surely become overweight and obese, right? We slowly but surely stop looking like a pencil and we start looking more like a pear, right? Like we're slim and trim and now everything is just here. In like matter, feeding ourselves with spiritual knowledge without properly applying that knowledge to our lives, obeying what God's Word says. If all we're doing is taking it in, taking it in, taking it in, and we don't live it out, and we don't go out for Him, that can lead to a condition that could be called spiritual obesity. The condition of filling ourselves up with Bible knowledge without living it out. Without going out into the world for Him. I don't know about you, but I think there just might be as much spiritual obesity in the church today as there physical obesity in our country today. And listen, we are called, we're not called just to know God. We are called to make him known. Amen? I mean, it's great. We want to know God. We should want to know God. But we should want to make God known. That's our calling. It's time to go. Going is our calling. Going is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. Let's finish up our text. Now you know why I stopped at verse 4. These are names of 12 apostles. Now Mark tells us they went out two by two. And the way Matthew listed, he's given us the six pairs, right? These are the teams that went out. These are teams that went out. Why two by two? Well, remember the first going to the Jews who required, you had two or three witnesses, right, in the law of Moses to a testimony, right? So, and, and Hello, TV. And also, 
going two by two, you had people to protect you, to encourage you, to support you, to where, you, where you're weak, they're strong. So, and we see that the pattern of going with other people throughout the book of Acts. Uh, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, we, find, we find the listed apostles in three places, in Luke, in, in Mark, in book of Acts. Peter's always first. Guess who's always last? Judas is always last. Peter's always first, and he should be first, right? You know, he's the leader of the group at the time. He's the first among equals. He's the one that was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's the one that preached the very first gospel. These are names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon's called Peter, his brother Andrew, their team. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, their team. Philip and Bartholomew, their team. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, their team. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, their team. And what a team this last one is. Simon the Zealot, you know, the one who wanted to take Rome by force, you know, force brutality, right? Overcome Rome by force. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I think if Simon the Zealot knew, I don't think Judas would have the opportunity to betray him. So that's the list of the 12 apostles. And you know what kind of stands out to me? When Jesus chose them, when Jesus chose them, they were just 12 ordinary guys. Fisherman, tax collector, a zealot, a doubter. Just sons of ordinary Jews' homes. Uh, they had no former training in, in religious studies. They were scoffed at by the religious league. They were mocked by their own families. And when it came to serving Jesus, they were usually naive, often confused. What's he talking about? And unsure of what Jesus really wanted from them. And occasionally they were prone to rash ideas, pride, Self-centeredness, jealousy, fear, and doubts. At least on one occasion, they suggested that Jesus burned down an entire city, killing innocent people with fire from heaven. That would be James and John, the sons of thunder. When he chose them, this is not what you would call an all-star team. Like if he was picking kickball team, he would say, Jesus, why were you always picking last? Yes, to lead the worldwide church of Christ, Jesus like a group of below average, blue collar Jewish guys that changed the world. Okay, too quick. It's time to go principles and then we'll be done. Number three, going with others is what? Essential. Christianity is a team sport. Sometimes I think we talk too much about our personal faith rather than our corporate faith. We need each other. For support, for encouragement. What you're good at, I'm not good at. What I'm good at, you're not good at. Sometimes we need someone to go with us, right? I was glad many, many eons ago when I went to Bangladesh, that I was glad that Steve Bailey and Todd Cabo went with me, right? It was good. I'm glad I didn't go alone, right? And sometimes, though we may not go, right? Someone may say, hey, I'm meeting with this friend of mine and and, and I really want to talk to them about Jesus. I'm really concerned about them. Would you pray for me? And they pray for you. Uh, they're still involved, but they're not actually. And they come back and say, hey, you know what? It really went good. I really had a breakthrough. Or they ask this question, and I don't really know how to answer it, right? Going with others is essential. And the fourth, it's time to go principle, is going. And, and I left a word out. And, and it was caught by Bart this morning. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to change it. <laughs> I said, this is me, right? You know, 
Yeah, and sometimes we think this, right? Well, guys, if I'm going to go for Jesus, i got to be a superstar. Right? I, I need more Bible knowledge. I, I need to be better at this. Right? No. You can insert the word not. Oh, that's cool. You can insert the word not there in your notes. Going does not require that you be a superstar. Amen? Below average, blue collar, ordinary guys. And that should encourage us because when we look at all they, look what they accomplished. We're here 2,000 years in this building because of them. And billions of Christians around the world are meeting today because of them. What God did through them. What God did in them. Ordinary people. And that's kind of God's way, right? God likes to use the ordinary and the average to do extraordinary things. Ever heard of Gideon? Least in his family, David, his dad, didn't even call him to meet the prophet. Esther, an orphan. Ruth, a foreigner. Moses, a stuttering fugitive who was full of excuses. But that's God's way. Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers, think of what you were when he called you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ. Yes, going does not require that you need to be a superstar. In fact, the only thing holding you and I, holding us back from experiencing great things in our service to God are our own doubts, our own fears, our distraction by lesser things, and if I may, say, and if I may add, our own spiritual obesity. Taking it in, taking it in. You know, we kind of have all kinds of knowledge Go to every Bible study on the face of the earth. Watch every podcast. But we don't share our faith. We don't live out our faith. God's like, what? And it'll take the one person, meets Jesus, loves Jesus. I don't know a whole lot. I know my life was messed up. I know Jesus is changing me. And maybe he could change you too. That's all I got. And they go out and they share and they make a difference. Amen? Hey, it's time to go. Going is an answer to prayer that Jesus prayed. Going is our calling too. Going with others is essential. And going does not require that we be a superstar. And listen, as we move further into this study of how Jesus prepares these men, and I got to tell you, this week, this, I struggle with this text. I'm like, what is, I don't even know what's going on here. How, how do I get anything out of this? What am I supposed to share but now I am so excited to share this because this is Jesus' mission discourse. This is his instructions on how we can go out and represent him and represent him to this world who needs him. I have no idea all the stuff that we're going to learn about what it means to go out for him. But keep in mind that these guys were nobodies that Jesus was preparing to become heroes of the faith. And they didn't even know what was happening at the time. So perhaps you need to ask yourself, what is the Lord preparing me for right now?
I mean, maybe it's, maybe he's preparing you something right now that you don't even know that's coming. As we close, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the Lord wants to glorify himself by using ordinary people like us to accomplish extraordinary things for his glory? Do you think that the Lord wants to use ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things in the world for his glory? All we need to do is look around and join him in what he's doing, and we'll have the answer to that question. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they'd been arrested, brought in before the Jewish leaders. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, what's going on? I thought these were the guys that were scared when he was, I thought that's a dude that denied him. Like, what, what, what's going on? I thought they were locked behind closed doors. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. And when you and I hang out with Jesus long enough, the real Jesus, not the Jesus we made up, who likes what we like, hates what we hate, agrees with us all the time, doesn't put too much pressure on us, it's okay, it's okay. Not that Jesus. If we hang out enough with the real Jesus... He's going to say, hey, it's time to go out for me. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Father God, we love you. Thank you for those 12 guys. Well, the one, maybe not so much. But thank you for their faithfulness. They stepped out, had no idea. But they did. All they knew was that, I don't know the answers, but I know who I want to follow. I know who has the answers. And Lord, I, I pray that, that you do a work, a supernatural work in this church in the coming weeks. Because Lord, a lot of us have read a lot of things in the Bible. We've been to a lot of Bible studies, taught a lot of classes, preached a lot of sermons. And I think you want to tell us, hey, it's time to go. And you want to give us some instructions that will help us go. We love you, Lord, and we need you so very much. And this world needs you. And Lord, help us to be people who build our lives on you. Amen. Would you stand? I got one more thing I got to say. I forgot to say it. Stand up. <laughs> this is good. Good thought. Good thought. All right. Like, they had signs, right? You raise the dead. You cleanse the leper. That's how people knew that they were from the Lord, right? You're like, we don't have those signs. I, I think we have a better sign. 